So what is God saying? Uh, it says, some have come in maybe feeling condemned. Uh, some have come in feeling less than maybe they want to feel. And God is saying, don't be afraid. And then we get a, an exhortation about the majesty and the power of God. And uh, Job is kind of the same thing. Job, at the end of his trial, he said to God, okay, God, what's the deal? What happened here? And God didn't answer him. He didn't give him a great explanation about why all the difficulties had come into his life. And a lot of difficulties had come into Job's life. And maybe a lot of difficulties have come into your life. And maybe worse, maybe we're frightened by it. Maybe we are feeling condemned by it. But God is saying, God is saying what he actually said to Job. He said, look at me. I am high and lifted up. I'm able to do more than you're able to imagine. I'm going to take care of you. I am with you. I have not forsaken you. I love you. I have everything you need. I'm going to be with you. Last thing Jesus said before he left was um, that he would never leave us nor forsake us because he probably knew that was the first thing that was going to happen to us is that we would feel forsaken and that we would feel alone. But God is really encouraging us again this morning that you are not alone that God is with you. He's here with you. And he loves you. And it doesn't matter the state you're in. That does not alter God's love for us. He is in the process of dealing with everything that you feel needs to be dealt with in the time that he feels it needs to be dealt with. God is on the situation. But I really feel to say that we need to once again sit here and just for a moment, we have to embrace the reality that in spite of everything, God loves us, regardless of how we feel, regardless of how our life seems to be working out at the moment. And no matter what our fears are of the future or what we feel that we didn't get, that we should have got or whatever, that God loves us. And that is an unconditional love. And it's not conditional on you walking in here this morning, having everything perfect. Um, there's something I, I want to do. I'm going to read a lot of scripture. I'm just going to read it. And what it's going to say to you in it, as I read it, you're going to hear promises that are specific to you. You'll know them when I read them. Somebody will get this over here. Somebody will get something over there. It will mean something to somebody else. You'll also get senses of correction. You'll also get some illumination about the way we should be living. I'm just going to read it. I'm not going to preach it. I'm just going to read it. And as I read it, you listen and hear what God is saying to you out of it. I might read, I'm going to read three psalms, and you may not get anything until the last psalm. Don't feel that you have to get something from everything. Be listening for what God is saying to you through these scriptures. And I guarantee you, you're going to go away with something. That today would be a good day to have uh, uh, something to write on. We're going to start at Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my prayer for mercy. Because he bends down to listen, I will pray as long as I have breath. Now be listening to what it is God might be saying to you. Death wrapped its ropes around me. 
The terrors of the grave overtook me. I saw only trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Please, Lord, save me. How kind the Lord is. How good he is. So merciful, this God of ours. The Lord protects those of childlike faith. I was facing death and he saved me. Let my soul be at rest again, for the Lord has been good to me. He has saved me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. And so I walk in the Lord's presence as I live here on earth. I believed in you. So I said, I am deeply troubled, Lord. In my anxiety, I cried out to you. These people are all liars. What can I offer the Lord for all he has done for me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and praise the Lord's name for saving me. I will keep my promises to the Lord in the presence of all his people. The Lord cares deeply when his loved ones die. O Lord, I am your servant. Yes, I am your servant, born into your household. You have freed me from my chains. I will offer you a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the house of the Lord, in the heart of Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Psalm 117, praise the Lord, all you nations, praise him, all you people of the earth, for his unfailing love for us is powerful. The Lord's faithfulness endures forever. Praise the Lord. Now, remember, just listen to what's being said and what's speaking to you, because God will speak to you personally. Psalm 118, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let all Israel repeat, his faithful love endures forever. Let Aaron's descendants, the priests, repeat, his faithful love endures forever. Let all who fear the Lord repeat, his faithful love endures forever. In my distress, I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. I will look in triumph at those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Though hostile nations surrounded me, I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. Yes, they surrounded and attacked me, but I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. They swarmed around me like bees. They blazed against me like a crackling fire, but I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. My enemies did their best to kill me, but the Lord rescued me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. Songs of joy and victory are sung in the camp of the godly. The strong right arm of the Lord has done glorious things. The strong right arm of the Lord is raised in triumph. The strong right arm of the Lord has done glorious things. I will not die. Instead, I will live to tell what the Lord has done. The Lord has punished me severely, but he did not let me die. Open for me the gates where the righteous enter, and I will go in and thank the Lord. These gates lead to the presence of the Lord, and the godly enter there. I thank you 
for answering my prayer and giving me victory. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and is wonderful to see. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Please, Lord, please save us. Please, Lord, please give us success. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God. Shine upon us. Take the sacrifice and bind it with cords on the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. God's word, powerful all by itself. And do you see how it so meshes with what has already been said? I didn't know Roseanne was going to say that, but basically she paraphrased what I just said there. God is trying to remind us of something today about his greatness and about his glory and also about his promises and about our obligation to worship him and our obligation uh, to fulfill our vows. That means just being obedient to God. There was one uh, Psalm 121, verse 8. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. And again, that lines up with the fact of God is watching. He's with us. He will. He made a covenant promise that he's going to watch over you and I. You do not have to sit here today and be frightened of the future. There's a lot of people scared to death of the future. We should not be those people. We need to know that God will make a way where there doesn't seem to be a way. And he will give strength when there doesn't seem to be strength. He will give solutions when we're trying to find solutions and everyone else doesn't have any. He'll give us a peace when we should have terror. That's an incredible one. The doctor tells you something. I was, like I said to you a couple of weeks ago, I saw that guy at the doctor's office in a complete panic because he had just got his test results and the whole room knew about it. He was in a complete panic. And I said, Father, that might be a little bit of the gift that you've given us, that we do not react to bad news like that. We trust God who is with us forever, regardless of the situation. I want to, I believe we should be in prayer and fasting. As you know, we have always done prayer and fasting in this church, and I, since the 1st of January, have been trying to find the right time to do it and the right reason to do it. Fasting just as some kind of a thing that you do is not going to avail anything. Fasting has to have a very, very precise thing attached to it. And I was saying to God this week, I said, Father, should we be fasting? Uh, do you want us to fast? And I was journaling and he came back with something wonderful. He said, the question is not whether or not I want you to fast. Do you want to fast? And I went, well, there's a question. Do we want to fast? And why do we want to fast? I want to look at the book of Joel very quickly. Joel is a very interesting book. It's, it talks about the be way back in his time, and it also talks about what is yet in front of us. It covers over 3,500 years of history in the three or four chapters that Joel is. But Joel starts out by talking about a locust swarm that had gone through Israel. And going through, it destroyed everything. And he was referring to that. He was using it as a comparison as he was preaching to the people 
that this is what the great and terrible day of the Lord is going to look like, that what judgment will look like. And they were, at the time of his speaking, they were in a threat of a northern army coming. And again, he was referring to it as the terrible day of the Lord. You'll see that all through scripture, the great and terrible day of the Lord. We have not yet seen that. It's coming, though. And we'll know when we've seen it because the sun will not shine, the moon will turn to blood, the stars will fall from the sky. Have we seen that yet? I don't think we've seen that yet. So when we see that, then we'll have some reason to go, okay, it's time to get out of Dodge because something is happening. And no specific sin is mentioned in the book of Joel, that he's actually saying that this terrible judgment that is coming on uh, Judah doesn't give any particular reason for that. But it does mention a little bit about the moral, spiritual state of Judah at the time, just very lightly. But, I mean, we may be sitting here looking at destruction in our life, in our past. And we may even have some concerns about what is coming down the road. We do not have to fear it, but God does have some very specific processes for us in making sure that we are going to get through what's coming or through what is happening now. And one of them is repentance and through prayer and fasting. Fasting is a powerful tool of the Lord. And I I just really think that he's calling us into a period of fasting right now. And there are terrible things happening in the world. There are some terrible things that maybe have happened to us. There are things that maybe are going on in our life that shouldn't be going on. There are things that we are concerned about in the future. This fast for us, I believe, is specifically speaking to our spiritual standing before God. You as an individual, me as an individual. I don't believe we're supposed to be fasting about the state of the world. I don't believe we're supposed to be fasting about some big issue. I believe it is about our personal standing before God. No specific sin is Joel talking about. God is just calling his people back to him to a closer walk with him through the process of fasting. And there's something very, very powerful in it. Joel 1, 15 to 20 says, The day of the Lord is near, the day when destruction comes from the Almighty. How terrible that day will be. I mean, there's going to be judgment is not good. And none of us want judgment on our life. But yet God does say that judgment begins at the house of the Lord. So we can't say we're somehow uh, going to never, ever have to have some kind of a, a recompense or some kind of a correction made in our life. But fasting is a way of getting ahead of that and getting in there and allowing God to show us stuff and to speak to us about stuff. Our food disappears before our very eyes. No joyful celebrations are held in the house of our God. The seeds die in the parched ground and the grain crops fail. The barns stand empty and the granaries are abandoned. This is just talking about a lack. It could be spiritual lack. It could be emotional lack. It could be financial lack. But he's saying that these things are in our life. And sometimes these things do creep into our life. And they're there for a reason. And they're there to indicate something. And they're there to cause and provoke us to do something. And in this case, Joel is bringing it out to say it's provoking you to go to a fast. How the animals moan with hunger. The herds of cattle wander about confused because they have no pasture. The flocks of sheep and goats bleat in misery. That's a whole statement about the church right there. 
Lord, help us. The fire has consumed the wilderness pastures and flames have burned up all the trees. Even the wild animals cry out to you because the streams have dried up and fire has consumed the wilderness pastures. This is a very dire situation. And it talks about lack. And I can't help but to believe that there is a spiritual lack happening in the corporate church. I really do. And I believe that I can say this. I don't believe that we are living individually the lives of victory that I believe God wants us to live. I do believe for everyone sitting here, there's another level. If you're happy with the way you're living and if you think everything is okay and you have all you need and everything is spiritually okay, then I guess you could just go to sleep for the next 10 minutes or so. But I think I know most of you and I know that you're hungry and I know that you want more. Not more in a bigger car and a bigger house and a bigger paycheck. That's not the more. I know most of you. And what you would prefer to have is more peace, to have more victory with your family in spreading the gospel, more sense of overcoming, the ability to not have fear, the ability to walk with strength against so much that's coming against us today. And this is exactly in the metaphor what Joel is talking about. There is a a weakness, there is a lack, there is so much more that can be had. And he's telling us that that the solution for this is to fast. Now God gives the solution to the issue here. Joel 2 12 to 17. This is what the Lord says. Joel's already told us the situation. Here's what it is. Turn to me now while there is time. There's a statement. There's a statement. Turn to me while there's time. We don't know tomorrow. And this isn't some kind of rah, 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 fire and brimstone thing. This is just saying we don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. So turn to God now while there's time. Give me your hearts Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Now, does that mean for a fast to be good, you have to be crying and moaning and rolling about the floor? Well, it can't hurt. (laughs) Like, it can't hurt. But he's talking about an attitude. He's talking about the attitude of the heart. Don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. You know, you saw it when... Jesus was standing in front of the Pharisees and he said that basically he was the son of God and Caiaphas took his clothes and ripped it in this great act of disgust and all righteous indignation. God said, don't give me any of that. Just quietly rend your heart and show your need and show your desire to me privately. Return to the Lord your God for he is merciful and compassionate Slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. This is, we don't have to go to God with fasting with some kind of fear of rejection. This is what he's like. He is eager to relent and not punish. Who knows? Perhaps he will give you a reprieve, sending you a blessing instead of this curse. Perhaps you will be able to offer grain and wine to the Lord your God as before. It's talking about the plenty. It's talking about having enough and and being able to offer to the Lord. Well, if you've got enough to offer to the Lord, that means you have enough for you too. So if we're living in a state of lack, if we're living in some kind of a situation of lack, I don't believe that if we're living in consistent lack that that's okay. I believe we should be able to live at a level where we are able to meet our needs and we are also able to bless others. That is the scriptural basis, basic line of it. And sometimes you do go through ebbs and flows. You go through ebbs and flows. But 
fundamentally, sometimes you go through it because there's something not quite right in where it should be. And there's no quicker way for God to get our attention than to give us a financial issue. Oh, boy, that gets us going right fast. That'll perk us right up. We'll find 20 scriptures in about two minutes once we have a financial need. So God knows how to get our attention. Remember, he's not getting our attention to discipline us. He's getting our attention to bless us. He's trying to bring correction so that we can live a fuller, richer, more abundant life. I don't believe in the prosperity doctrine as it is preached in in some churches, but I do believe God wants you to prosper. We would have to take scripture and completely erase whole books to say that God doesn't want you to prosper. He absolutely does, but he wants you to prosper first spiritually and in your character and in your spiritual practices and disciplines. And from that will come everything else. We want to skip over those, and we want to just have the blessings. You know, the old thing, you want the resurrection without the crucifixion. Blow the ram's horn in Jerusalem, announce a time of fasting, call the people together for a solemn meeting. A solemn meeting, which means just a time where you're sitting down and you are saying, look at me, Father. Look at me. Don't look at my brother. No, I don't want to know about him. I don't want to know about her. I don't want to know about them. This is my time to sit in front of you with solemnity, with humility, and with a contrite heart and say, Father, show me anything. Show me anything that is in the way that needs to be fixed. We would be a very arrogant people to think that every one of us don't have something. We would be profoundly arrogant to think that there isn't something God might have to or want to change in us. And doing it in a spirit of prayer, fasting, and humility is absolutely the fastest way that that's going to get fixed. Gather all the people, the elders, the children, and even the babies. It's amazing. Call the bridegroom from his quarters and the bride from her private room because there was the tradition in the Old Testament that a bri- a newlyweds were, were excused from everything for a year. They didn't have to do anything except get to know each other. We should have that now, actually. We really should. Let the priests who minister in the Lord's presence stand and weep between the entry room to the temple and the altar. Let them pray. Spare your people, Lord. Don't let your special possession become an object of mockery. Don't let them become a joke for unbelieving foreigners who say, has the God of Israel left them? So what God is asking them to do here, the leaders specifically, is to pray for the presence and power of the God of Israel to be present in the church. Uh, The leaders of this church get together weekly, and we pray specifically for that, specifically for that, amongst other things, but for that. There is a lot of prayer going up for you as a congregation from the leadership of this church. If people do this, here's what God says he'll do. If you do that, here's what God will do. Joel two eighteen to 20. Then the Lord will pity his people and jealously guard the honor of his land. He will guard you and honor you. He will honor you. That's a big word. The Lord will reply, look, I am sending you grain and new wine 
and olive oil, enough to satisfy your needs. You will no longer be an object of mockery among the surrounding nations. I will drive away these armies from the north. I will send them into the parched wastelands. Those in the front will be driven into the Dead Sea, and those at the rear into the Mediterranean. The stench of their rotting bodies, there's the graphic nature of Scripture sometimes, will rise over the land. Surely the Lord has done great things. Now this uh, this never happened because they prayed and fasted and the, the attack never came. But this is a metaphor. We would be again amiss if we did not realize that God wants to make you something that the world looks at. We're not here just so that we can come and hide in church, talk about the glories of the Lord, testify about the glories of the Lord, and then go outside and just mesh in. God's ideal for Israel was that it would be a light on the hill. You know, it would be a light on the hill. The Lord says that in Scripture. But they failed miserably. Not because they're so bad, just because they're human beings. And we fail a lot. God wants his church to be a light on the hill. Wants the church to be something the world looks at when everything else is falling apart and says, well, what's going on there? Why are they having their needs met? Why are they not running around their hair on fire? Why are they going into difficult situations and reacting differently than everybody else? Why? This, this we're supposed to be living. God does want us to prosper so that the Lord, the world can look at us and not say, well, they have two cars, so that must be where I need to go. That's not the prosperity. He wants the world to look at the church and be a people who are able to handle the difficulties that I tell you are coming on the world. We're in a bubble over here. We're still protected. The bubble's getting smaller, but we're in a bubble. And we're being protected from a lot of what the rest of the world is dealing with, but it's coming our way. And we need to be able to be a people that are acting and reacting to that differently. The threshing floors, Joel 2, 24 to 27, the threshing floors will again be piled high with grain and the presses will overflow with new wine and olive oil. The Lord says, I will give you back what you lost to the swarming locusts. This is a promise to you and I. The hopping locusts, the stripping locusts, and the cutting locusts. It was I who sent this great destroying army against you. Won't even get into that. But we do have to believe that if we are saints of God, that our life does not have the openness for some just random thing to come flying in and just cause havoc in our life without God knowing about it. I mean, if we don't believe that God is somehow filtering everything that comes into our life, then boy, oh boy, uh, that's a scary place to be. If we believe that just the enemy or anything else can just come and do what he wants into our life, uh, no, no, that we'd all be dead right now. We'd all be in very, very bad situations. But we do know that things do happen. And we do know that if we process them properly, what do we find in the end? A blessing comes out of it. Even as bad as it is, as scary as the middle of the night prayers were, once we get through it, all of a sudden we go, oh my heavens, God not only delivered me, but you get a tremendous spiritual blessing and confidence. And all of a sudden, what do you do? You know God a little bit better. You're a little bit more sure that he's with you, a little bit more sure that he exists. 
Oh, well, we always believe he exists. Ah, come on. There's days that all of us have where we go, like, are you there? Anybody there? Really? It's natural. It's normal. And God knows. Once again, you will have all the food you want, and you will praise the Lord your God who does these miracles for you. Never again will my people be disgraced. Then you will know that I am among my people Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. Never again will my people be disgraced. That's the benefits of fasting. And then finally, Joel 2.28. Then after all these things, oh, this is beautiful. I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. There is no difference between men and women in God's eyes. That is something the culture we're living in that does that. In God's eyes, there is no difference. God pours out his spirit equally on women as he does on men. And that's the benefit of fasting. That's what fasting is all about. That's why we do it. A a process and a time of self-analysis, of sitting ourselves in front of God and taking a day, whatever you want, really. It's up to you what you want to do. Um. You know, it's you, you can do a day, you can do 20 days, you can do two days, you can do a half a day. It's up to you. And also in this day and age, the fasting is, uh, they always say food, right? Well, in the day of social media, I think if you took the phone away from somebody, you would do far more damage to them than if you took, you know, one meal away. If we really want it, To give God, because all fasting is, is a reflection of our desire for God's input into this time of prayer and separation to him. So what is it in your life that would really pinch you to give it up? And for how long? Some, it might be food. Some people, their health won't allow them to fast uh, food because it just causes problems. But some, it might be TV. Some, it might be coffee. That wouldn't be a bad one. Shopping. Uh Uh-oh. You know, to stay away from the news. To just whatever it is to disrupt your life in a manner in which it will cause discomfort. And it's not like God wants you to pain so you can get some good. That's not it. It's so that it, it gives us, because remember, what does Paul say? He says, crucify the flesh. Doesn't say think about crucifying the flesh. Crucify the flesh. And fasting is one of those times where God calls us to that in a very specific way. But remember, we're doing it as individuals before God for your spiritual benefit. You're asking God to show you what might be in the way that it might be stopping that next level of graduation of sanctification and blessing in your life. And it's not selfish to ask for God's blessing in our life because God says it is his joy to give us blessings. It's actually his joy. Can you imagine a parent who wants to give their kid a, a present and the kid says, oh, no, I can't. Oh, I can't. Oh, no, I can't. Can you imagine doing that all the time, what that t- the parent would feel like? God wants to give you blessings. And so that's what this week of fasting is. I put something on the bulletin board out there, 
and it's broken down into the days of the week. And you can just sign which day you want to take. If you want to take two days, that's fine. I just think there's something to writing your name down. I was walking out. You get out there and, be, and you forget. It happens. We just forget. But there's something about putting your name down and saying, I'm committing to this day. And again, I'm not going to prescribe what you have to fast. That's up to you. If you want to do social media and all that, you do it or food or whatever. But nonetheless, uh, pick something. And remember this. I'll say it again. The reason we're doing it is because you want God to reveal to you anything that needs to change, anything that needs to be let go of, anything that needs to be taken in, uh, whatever it is, uh, fixing up of a relationship, asking for repentance and confession, going and fixing a relationship, whatever it might be. But God will show it to you. And if nothing comes, then at least you're giving God the space. And that's worth something. God will always use that. So that's what, it, it's on the bulletin board, just uh, go out and put your name where you want it to. And uh, Wednesday night, we'll have prayer here. We're going to have prayer tonight at 6.30. And Wednesday night, the leaders usually get together, but I'll invite everybody on Wednesday night if you want to come. We'll have another night of prayer on Wednesday night, and uh, we'll do it for the following week. So how's that feel? It's Okay. Nobody's got their hair on fire about this? Okay. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it might be even more. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's whatever you want to do. It's whatever you want. And the thing about the work thing, you uh, can take lunch, your lunch hour, instead of eating, just go somewhere quiet and just be. That's one way you can get around that. I know what you're saying. And you're also saying that don't do it just because the church is calling a fast. That's no good. Like if you're really not connecting with this, don't do it. Don't do it just because you feel obligated or, well, everyone's fasting. I guess I should. But really, you know, think about it. And, you know, and if there isn't, I can't imagine there wouldn't be, but there might be. And if there isn't a connection to it. Uh, you know, well, I want people to fast because they really desire to have something more of God. I believe the spiritual depth of this church is going up. You know the scripture in the Old Testament where the prophet gives the picture of the person walking out in the water and it's to their ankles and then it's to the thighs and then it's up to here and then they're swimming. Well, that is God calling us into a deeper place with him. And it ends with us being totally consumed by him and relying, because when you're in the water, you're relying on the buoyancy of the water to keep you up, right? You can paddle, but it's the water keeping you up. And God wants us to move in ever-increasing measures of dependency with him and relationship with him. Uh, so that's what fasting can do. Yes. The New Testament is full of times where Paul and the boys got together and they would pray and fast. In one case, the place shook. The building shook. Um, prayer and fasting shows an intent of the heart. That's what it shows. That's what God's after. The heart. He's always after the heart. Uh, the core of us. So uh, there may, who knows what things will be released what things in our family will be broken, what bondages might change, what opportunities may come, doors may open. 
health healings may come, something will happen. I have never fasted and prayed with true intent where something hasn't, I haven't noticed something afterwards. So that's what I'd like to do uh, with prayer and fasting this week. Um, Father, we thank you uh, for what you're saying to us. I pray right now, Father, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you speak to each of us about what it is exactly you would have us to do as we leave today and that, Father, we would just hear your voice and know your voice in it. There would be peace going into this and peace during it, Father God. And, uh, Father, I thank you that the enemy is defeated by the blood of the Lamb and the words of our testimony. And, Father, I feel to say that piece of Scripture where uh, it says that the Spirit will strengthen us. I'm paraphrasing, but we will walk over all of the things of the enemy, scorpions, and there's different uh, insects and animals mentioned there. But what God is saying is that we will walk over the things of the enemy that are in our way to try to stop us. So, Father... I speak prosperity, spiritual prosperity, the next level, progress, a going up, a going in, and a going deep for us as we enter into this week of prayer and fasting in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I want to take up uh, an offering.